0: Morning, church. Ha! <laughs> Thank you for being here this morning. We're so happy to be here, live in Boston Common. We're prepping everything, getting ready for the official launch um, in two weeks on the 16th. So, just a, a little housekeeping thing: uh, we're not going to be broadcasting the lyrics this morning. So, um, to be able to worship along with us, if you don't know the song. Um, go to RenewalChurchBoston.com slash connect and you can find the lyrics there so that you can worship along with us. So this week Pastor Jared's starting a um, a new uh, sermon series um, Unity in a Divided World and you know this for me it reminds me of God's love and how to bring unity in a divided world, it needs to start with being loved by God because that love, out of, out of the abundance of His love in our life, is how we love others. And without that, like that overflow in our heart, like we can't love others and treat others how God would treat them if we don't have that love first in our hearts and in our lives. And so... This morning we're going to sing a few songs just reminding us about God's love. So let's worship together.
1: For I call, for I... Where the thunder rides. Can I run? It's hard, I'm dead. Never step I collide with you. Like a tidal wave, crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fierce like a hurricane. That I can't escape. Tearing through the atmosphere, your love is fierce You cannot fail, the only thing I've found Is through it all, you never let me down You don't hold back, the lane And every turn I come face to face with you like a tidal wave crashing over me, rushing in me to meet me here. Your love is fierce, like a hurricane that I can't escape, tearing through the atmosphere. Your love is fierce. See me chase, chase me down, seek me out. How could I be lost when you would call me found? Chase me down, seek me out. How can I be lost when you will call me found? Chase me down, seek me out. How can I be lost when you will call me found? Like a tidal wave. Crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here Your love is fierce, like a hurricane That I can't escape, tearing through the atmosphere Your love is fierce, your love is fierce, your love is fierce For me, love's like a hurricane. I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden, I was unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realized just how beautiful you are and how me your affections are for me, So oh, how he loves us so, oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so, so he's jealous, he's jealous for me, he loves like a hurricane, I can't I was unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realized just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me Oh, how He loves us so. Oh, how He loves us How He loves us Oh, how He loves us so. Oh, how He loves us. How He loves us so. Yes, He loves Get great He's an ocean where We're all sinking So heaven meets earth I cannot sink Yes, my heart turns me inside of my chest I don't have time to maintain These regrets when I think about The way that you love me.
0: this morning, we thank you for your love. God, I pray that you fill us with that love so that out of that overflow, we can properly love others and love those around us. God, I pray that you remind us of your love every day so that we can remind other people that you love them the same and that we can show them that through our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Heather, you want to come on up?
2: Good morning, Renewal Church. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are live in the beautiful Boston Common, and we are just so excited to be here together as we prepare for our launch live on August 16th. And uh, really awesome renewal blanket and uh, first-time guest get a chair. And we're just really excited to see you guys again on August 16th And uh, it's going to be really important that you get some updates as to what's going on. So um, if you would text RENEWAL to 617-297-9446, this is a very easy way to um, be connected with everything that's happening. If there's weather issues, different stuff, we're just, uh, that's the best way to get in touch with us and figure out what's going on. Um, also, you need to join us at RenewalChurchBoston.com slash connect message notes, the lyrics, the connection card, everything like that for the services now that they're happening live. So um, Jared today is starting a new, ser- a new series called Unity in a Divided World, and I think it's so important with our culture these days and everything that's happening that we figure out what the Bible has to say about unity. So let's pray before he um, starts speaking to us this morning. Dearly Father God, we thank you for this opportunity where we can start meeting again. I pray that you will continue to um, protect our church and our community. I pray that as Jared speaks today from your word, that you will help us and challenge us to learn how to be better unified as the body of Christ and what that looks like in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Here's Jared.
3: All right. Let's hear it for the first lady of the church, Heather. There she is. Hey, if you're online, like this, love it, share it. Get it out there. Maybe type Go Heather in the comments section. So listen, uh, we are here live in the Boston Common. We are getting ready for you guys because on August 16th, um, we are inviting you and the public to be here with us in Boston Common. We're going to be worshiping here every week in person. We just can't wait for that to happen. We can't wait for you guys to be with us. Um, We've got... We've been working really hard to make sure that it is both safe and fun, and so we're going to be seated picnic style on blankets or chairs, so it'll be naturally socially distanced. We've got masks and gloves and hand sanitizer, everything we need, but on top of that, it's fun, so we're going to have, we've got cornhole here, we've got giveaways, we've got fun stuff for you guys, and I know that you're going to enjoy it. Now, let's talk today. We're starting a new series called Unity in a Divided World, and I want to start off talking about Mattapan. Mattapan is a neighborhood in Boston that is predominantly black today. It's been slurred as Murderpan, it's been called the murder, murder capital of Boston, but it didn't start off that way. In 1960 Mattapan was a neighborhood of about 44,000 people and it was 99% white, most of them were Jewish. What changed in Mattapan was a federal housing program to give mortgages to minority home borrowers. And it it seemed like a good idea, but it went wildly off the rails. Let me share with you what happened. There was a banker named Erickson who stepped up to a map. He was running the program, and he drew some lines on the map. And I'm reading here from a brief history of the new Boston, so let me quote it to you. Now there is some question whether Erickson used a red or a yellow marker to draw the lines, but there is no question about their effect. By forcing blacks with home ownership aspirations to compete in a limited geographic area, the bankers created an eruption of panic selling, blockbusting, street violence, and rage. The book continues. In an article titled Confessions of a Blockbuster, an anonymous real estate agent admitted, we were told, you get the listings any way you can it's pretty easy to do just scare the hell out of them and that's what we did Mattapan resident Janice Bernstein reported that one of those agents said to her do you want your child knifed or killed by those colored hoodlums sell now you can still get your price in the end what happened because the banks had very little incentive to screen new borrowers because the FHA had almost no oversight of the program whatsoever because the banks wouldn't make loans for repairs because they weren't federally backed and because the banks would practice fast foreclosures on these minority home buyers by 1974 half of the black families that had applied for mortgages and bought homes had been foreclosed on by these same banks. They had had their homes taken away from them by the banks that put them in those homes in the first place. Now why are we talking about Mattapan? It's it's one example of how America is a racialized society. That's just true of America. And what that means is that race in America is highly determinative of income, of wealth, of location, of occupation, and a host of other issues. Let me give you another piece of evidence that America is a racialized society. The Boston Globe Spotlight Team did a really uh, famous piece just a couple years ago on exploring this thought that um, that Boston is the most racist city in America, and they found that the average not sorry not the average the median net worth of white families was two hundred and forty seven thousand five hundred dollars, and the and the median net worth of black families in Boston was eight, not eight thousand eight dollars. And part of what you see from the story of Mattapan is that a large amount of the the disparity of net worth comes from housing discrimination that happened in the 60s, 70s and 80s in Boston. America is still a racialized society and America is still divided over race. And we know this for an absolute fact because we're all on social media. And so all you have to do is go online to social media And you know that if someone says Black Lives Matter, that's met with an insistence that blue lives matter or all lives matter. If you go on social media, everyone has an opinion over the recent protests of George Floyd, over the death of George Floyd. They have an opinion about the looting. They have another opinion about the police using excessive force. America is literally and figuratively divided by race. Sorry, I'm fighting the wind here. Now, because America is literally and figuratively divided by race, I believe the church has an important role to play in our society. Jesus talks about what the role of the church is and how we get to that place, and I want to share with you just a little bit about what he said. In John chapter 17... Jesus was giving these final instructions to his followers just before he died. He was giving uh, final prayers. And he actually prayed for people who would believe in him someday, which if you're a follower of Jesus, that, that's you, that's me. And here's what he said. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That, that's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And so when Jesus thought about us, his top prayer for us was unity. So Jesus, something about our role in the world has to do with Jesus' call for unity in his church. The Christian church must be unified across racial and ethnic lines. Or to put it more simply, the calling of the church is unity in a divided world. And in a society that has a racist past, we have the history of slavery. In a society that is divided over race, Our unity shines even more brightly in a broken world. Jesus talks about the role of the church in wider society in a really famous passage in the Bible. He says this. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And then he says this. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So according to Jesus, the church is supposed to be like salt. You know, if you take a single grain of salt and you put it on your tongue, you can taste it. It changes the whole character of your mouth. Ten grains of salt. And your whole mouth tastes salty. The church is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be distinctive. It's supposed to flavor the society that it's in. And to the degree that the church is not distinct from the wider society, it is worthless. It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus also said there that the church is like a city on a hill. In other words, the church is a city inside of the city, pointing the way forward to live in a different way as humans church the calling of the church is unity in a divided world because we show the way forward of what it looks to live what it looks like to live in the new family of Jesus so that is why we are in our series today called unity in a divided world this series was not planned in response to the deaths of George Floyd. This, this series was planned earlier in the year, back in January, as part of a five-part strategy that our church has to help build unity across racial and ethnic lines. And teaching is one part of that strategy. So here's what I'd like you to do. Turn on or turn in your Bibles... to to Galatians chapter 2, where we're going to see an example of ethnic prejudice happening in the early church, and just as importantly, we're going to see its resolution in the early church, how they dealt with it. So what I want to do is I'm going to read you the text, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. When Cephas came to Antioch, now what you need to know is Cephas is Peter, Peter is Cephas, same guy. When he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, a couple of things I want to point out from this text. The, the first thing is that the lack of unity in this church, as Paul confronts Peter, is because of ethnic prejudice. Now, I think it's fair to say that racism could not have existed until the 15th, until the 15th century because the concept of race didn't exist until then. Uh, now, here I'm going to quote from How to be Anti-Racist by Abram Kendi, Ibram Kendi. He says, beginning in 1735, Carl Linnaeus locked in the racial hierarchy of humankind in Systema Naturae, and you might remember that from high school biology class where they teach taxonomy. He color-coded the races as white, yellow, red, and black. He attached each race to one of the four regions of the world and described their characteristics. So it's a fair question as to can you be racist when race doesn't yet exist in anyone's intellectual thoughtscape? However... One of the things Christianity has led me to believe is that all people suffer from the same basic sins, or um, maybe put it another way, as Christians have often said, the human heart doesn't change, that the same basic sins that characterize people like Abraham or David or Peter in the Bible are still the same basic sins that affect my heart and your heart today, regardless of what century they happen to exist in. Sins may express themselves in new, twisted ways, depending on what culture you live in, but they don't really change the human heart. So, here's what's happening. When you observe ethnic prejudice in the Bible, like someone who's Jewish discriminating against people who are Gentiles, you are watching the same basic tendencies— that enable race to exist as a category in our culture today. The same basic sins which enable racist ideas to spread and racist policies to go unchallenged. Peter is living out the common cultural assumption that Gentiles are unclean and therefore disgusting. The sin should be named partiality, and it's the flip side of disgust. And Paul sees it for what it is, calls it out. It's an affront to the message of Jesus because it destroys the unity of the church. Now, here's another thing I want to point out, is that it took incredible courage to pursue unity in the local church. The reason, yeah, one reason that Peter separated himself from the Gentiles, but nobody said anything until Paul showed up, is because Peter was the leader of the Jerusalem church. So, in effect, no one outranks Peter in the church. And so because he's the head honcho, nobody speaks to him until Paul shows up. So for Paul to speak, it was a risk. It takes courage. It risks Paul's reputation with the leaders of the most influential church. It risks his reputation with the people who are financially funding his ministry. It risks his relationship with Peter, of course, and it actually risks his ability to pursue his calling because just think about this. If you're the guy Peter hates, your job is going to become infinitely harder in the Christian church. But it's interesting to me that when division pops up along ethnic lines, when the sin of partiality and disgust rears its head, it is a big enough deal for Paul to confront Peter and say the sin has to stop this goes against the very gospel. It's not a secondary issue for him. It is the issue itself. It, the whole gospel is on the line when there is ethnic prejudice in the church. The other thing I want to point out to you here is that unity is built by the, the, the words that they use are acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And I love this because when Paul confronts Peter about this, what he says to him isn't, um, Hey man, people are feeling excluded, like you can't do this. People are feeling left out. It's not what he says. He doesn't say, "Hey, this isn't really look good to outsiders." It's not what he says. He doesn't say, "Listen, bro, you're an apostle. You spent time with Jesus. Shouldn't you know better than this? Come on, you know better, do better, Peter." That's not what he says. He says, "You are not acting in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your inability to love across the lines means you are betraying something fundamental about what Jesus did. In essence, what he's saying is, remember what Jesus did for you. Remember, you were an outsider. You were a nobody. You were an outsider to God until Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead. And that's when you became a somebody to God. You remember what Jesus did for you? How when you, when you were, when you when you were forgiven of your sins, you were adopted into God's family across every ethnic and racial line that existed. We're part of a family now. And the fact that you're not living that out shows that you're not living out the most fundamental thing that's true about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you have been forgiven and put into a family where people from every tribe and tongue and nation live together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Or maybe put it another way. Um... If your sociology isn't in line with your theology, it makes you a hypocrite. If your sociology is not in line with your theology, it makes you a hypocrite. Because you can have perfect theology but if it's not impacting the way that you treat other people, if it's not impacting the way that you, you see people and relate to people, then you become a hypocrite. This is actually what was happening in the southern United States before the Civil War, in the antebellum period, where the southern slaveholders were practicing Christianity. They, if you go back and look at their theology, right, most of their theology is good. Now, they made huge theological errors when it came to um, their treatment of their slaves. But what was happening there? What they knew about God was not affecting the way that they treated people. And let me read you a quote from Frederick Douglass on this. It's very famous. He says Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. You can have your theology down. You can have the truths of the gospel, but your sociology is a mess. You aren't treating people as though the gospel is true. You aren't acting in line with the gospel. It makes you a hypocrite. Now, unity in the church happens as our interpersonal lives come into line with the truth of what Jesus has done for us, the truth of who God is, the truth of what God has accomplished. So if that's true, then let's come back to this thought. The calling of the church is unity in a divided world. We are salt in the middle of a tasteless city. We are light in the middle of a dark and confused city. And so for us one of the things that we do about the sin of racism in our society is to live united in our church. So what I'm going to propose that we do today is we're going to look at what we can do within our church to live united in a divided society. Now, I'm not going to give you the solution to racism. There isn't one. There's not just one, right? There are many. So... If the problem is housing policies that have a discriminatory impact, then the way that you deal with that is by lobbying people in the government or maybe taking to the streets and marching, right? But what I want to talk about is within our church, how do, what can we do to lead the way forward to be united in a divided world? And there are two things, I think, in this particular text that we see that lead us forward. Because the early church was struggling to live united in a divided world. Anytime you encounter the language of Jews and Gentiles in the church, you're, in, you're encountering the language of ethnic division and the church is working through that. So here's the first thing, and it's very Christian in, in its orientation, is to live with Humility. Humility is what Peter was lacking when he put his own interests and the way he looked in front of the interests of his Gentile brothers and sisters in the church. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. How, how often do you think about your elbows? That's how often you should think about yourself, right? It's just humility is focusing on other people, not practicing vanity or pride. Humility is the word that the earliest followers of Jesus most often used when they were talking about living in unity. Let me give you an example. Philippians 2 says this, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Isn't that amazing? I mean, mean, how simple is that? Put the other people's interests ahead of your interests. All right. Let's, let, it's my turn to offend everybody, so here we go. Okay. So if you are a white person in the church, what that means is you must take an interest in what your black and brown brothers and sisters say and think and care about. Right? Because when you're family, what matters to them matters to you. You don't have to stop caring about what you care about. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you also care about this. Let me give you a silly example. One time, for like like 10 years, my sister boycotted Walmart. She just was like, I'm not having it. They're a big box store. They're... And I was like, what are you talking about? I had no idea. But because she cared about it that much, I started to care about it. I didn't care less about the things I cared about before, but we're family. So I started to care, right? In the church, we are the family of God, so we must consider the interests of other people above ourselves. It is required of followers of Jesus to consider others as more important than us. All right, now let me talk, let me take the risk of talking to my black and brown brothers and sisters. One of the things this might mean for you is staying in the game right? Like sometimes when I go online, I hear this attitude of like, I can't surround myself with these people. They don't even understand the first thing. They don't get it, right? Or like Google it. You never heard of Google? Google it. And while it's true that people should Google it, I think, I think what this means is uh, showing grace and staying in the conversation, even when you're so sick of having that one-on-one conversation about race and racism over and over again, even when their questions themselves are very offensive to you, and they're asking you to speak on behalf of black people everywhere. It means answering graciously and, and being willing to go there and walk through that with them. It means putting their interests ahead of your own. And that's difficult. And I'm asking you to do something that, you know, this world says you don't have to do. But I think the way of Christ is for us to live graciously together and put each other's interests above our own. Think about this statement for a second. Unity grows where self-importance dies. Unity grows where self importance dies. If you think your opinion is so important and it is the one that needs to be heard, it is the one that needs to be cleared, and other people need to hear what you have to say, you are not building unity. In a church community, it means we're not going to let our preferences divide us. It's going to mean listening to to challenging perspectives without judgment, it's going to mean practicing curiosity about how people in your church perceive the world. It's going to mean being quick to forgive. It's going to mean quick to believe. It's going to mean all of, all of that is related to humility. So live with humility if you want unity. All right, here's the second thing I think that you can do, and that is to walk with integrity. Integrity was another thing Peter was lacking in this particular situation. Paul referred to his behavior as hypocrisy. Hypocrisy which is the opposite of integrity. And and people usually think that hypocrisy means saying one thing and doing another. It's not. That's called being a human. We all have these aspirational values that we don't live up to. Hypocrisy is related to the Greek word for wearing a mask, like an actor, like pretending. Hypocrisy is when you say one thing, but you prove by your actions that you don't really even believe it yourself. You're just pretending. So... How this relates to race and building unity in a divided world. As Christians, we declare with our mouth, we believe Colossians 3.11. It says this, and it's our memory verse for today. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so we declare with our mouth, we believe that. But if you prove with the actions of your life that those words are a farce, that is hypocrisy, and we lack integrity. Here's the deal. The point is not to be seen as living with integrity as it, come, as, it, as it relates to living with racial unity. Don't settle for virtue signaling when true virtue is possible. The point is actually to live a life across the lines, an uncomfortable life for the sake of Jesus and the sake of unity in the local church. Uh, I thought of some people that I, I, in our church, that are heroes of mine that do this well. It's some of our educators, um, Emily Espy, Meg Sutter, and Adriana have have all spoken to me in one way or another and said um, we know that there are educational disparities that are based on race in our country, and we want to live in such a way that we fix that, either by doing teacher, either by teaching directly or by helping kids get a different educational experience during the summer. And I just think, like, that is, that is walking the walk. And you don't, if you live like that, you don't have to black out your Instagram profile. Like, you don't have to just put on a show of caring. You actually live a life of caring. Now, not all of us are called to go into education, but all of us are called to be unity builders white Christians to be allies, black Christians to be bridge builders, where we live a multicultural life. Is your life looking more like heaven will look, where people from every tribe and tongue and nation... um, Or are your friendships carefully curated for maximum fun and commonality? So I desire for us to be a church that lives across the lines, where we are in each other's homes not just in each other's um, worship sanctuary, which I guess is Boston Common, so there's a lot of people here today. But I want us to be in each other's homes, to live and walk with integrity that matches the words of the gospel. Okay. Humility and integrity are, are two of the defining characteristics that people have when they build unity in a divided world. But have you ever wondered why Peter did what he did? I mean, he was an apostle, right? He lived and walked with Jesus. If anybody should have known better, it should have been Peter. Um, You know, I I think the question is, like, how could Peter have done this? And the answer to that is, in the text, it says certain men came from James. And that Peter was afraid of them. That's the words it uses, afraid of them. The Bible would call this fear of man. And it's when you care more about what people think than about what God thinks. So let me ask you a question. What would you have done in that situation? Do you think you would have stood tall and eaten with the Gentiles? Maybe you would have. (laughs) Maybe your character is stronger than the Apostle Peter. I I ask people sometimes, if if you're a white person, would you have opposed slavery in the antebellum South? Maybe you would have, but statistically, you would not have. It's the same question as Would you have opposed the Nazis in pre-war Germany? And everybody's like, yeah, of course I would have. Statistically, no, you wouldn't have. It is characteristically human to overestimate one's virtues and to underestimate one's vices. You and I are more broken than we think we are. We are more concerned about other people's approval or our culture's approval than we think we are. We are enslaved by a fear of other people's opinions. And we will remain that way until something fundamental changes in our lives. And that fundamental change happens when God's grace to you through Jesus is so overwhelming that it changes you. When you experience his mercy and forgiveness and love... When what God says to you in Jesus, which is, you are my dearly beloved child and with you I am well pleased, when that is more important to you than what anything else in the world says, you will be free of other people's opinions because you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. When that happens in your life, you will have the humility and the integrity necessary to live with unity in a divided world. I believe our world needs this. I believe our city needs a church that that lives out our calling to live unity in a divided world. I believe our church needs Christians who are committed to this work of being allies and bridge builders. And I believe that the more divided our society is, the sweeter the unity of Jesus looks to people who see no way forward. And so as hard as it may be, or as uncomfortable as it may be, We are committed to do this work as a church together, to stand against the sin of racism and build the unity that Jesus prayed for in his church. Let me pray for us, church. Father, we need your help to do this. We are more broken than we think we are, and we need your grace and your mercy in our lives. Would you help us to consider others as more significant than ourselves. Would you help us to live with integrity the truth that we proclaim, that here there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian or Scythian. God, give us the grace we need to do this work, to be a light, to be salt in this city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to invite Heather to come up here in just a second, but before we do, I just need to let you know that there is a members meeting coming up on August 14th. We worked hard during the quarantine to update the bylaws of the church, myself and the other elders, so now that it is clear, it is simple, and it is beautiful. So we're going to have a members meeting about that. Check your email. We will send you more details on that. Now I'm going to hand it back to Heather. Heather?
2: Alright, so make sure that you have gone to RenewalChurchBoston.com slash connect to fill out your connection card. That's also the place where you're going to give. And we would just wanted to let you know about something that we have done as a church that we have um, given a financial gift to Grace So Amazing, which is an orphanage in Haiti who helps um, orphans who have special needs. And because of your generosity as a church, um, we are able to help some of the most vulnerable children um, in the world and make sure that even during this time of crisis um, that they have food and that they have people caring for them and medical needs. So thank you so much for your generosity as we're able to serve um, people in Boston and all around the world. And Renewal Church, we are so grateful that you joined us today live in Boston Common. Join us online again next week at 1030 and then on the 16th we will see you live if you are healthy and comfortable to meet us here in Boston Common. Have a good Sunday.
1: Yeah, I was but lost in the moment. I was young and run